At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is even capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Welcome to the audio version of Aeon Byte Live, episode 41. Raw, uncensored, and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. On this sacrilege that also served as our second Halloween special, streamed that very night, Anthony Tyler and a cult fan joined us. We discuss a main horror writer and a cult exemplar, Clive Barker. From Hellraiser to Candyman, we tied these works to more profound spiritual and often Jungian themes. In addition, we dealt with the spooky themes of demonology, Fortean spirituality, and Anthony's book, Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations in Mysticism. Powerful content, birdie num num, done dirt cheap. Oh, and you are listening to the soundtrack to Candyman in the background, which I mention in the interview. It was always you, Ellen. It was always you. Sophia, blessings for those of you who continually support. I can't do it without you. Please continue to help me grow this red pill cafeteria. We need gnosis more than ever, needless to say. And we've only just begun reaching those who need to wake up or simply cope in 2020. 
You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guess in their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. November will be mind-expanding, reality-dispanding, I assure you. Our topics will include Atlantis, ancient high-tech, a groundbreaking model of consciousness, and how to use Gnosticism in this disastrous modern world. And much more, including a new Finding Hermes in a week or so. So don't go anywhere because we've only just begun thriving in this age of Hermes and his alchemical madness. But enough of my short drivel. Let us to our latest AB Live. The Empire Never Ended. Welcome everybody to AB Live. Welcome to the desert of the real, that ship smoke on the horizon. It is our Halloween special too on Halloween night and happy Halloween to everybody. We will have a, a great show where we will spend a lot of great topics including Clive Barker, Clive Barker, Charles Barkley, no, Clive Barker, demonology, Fortean spirituality, and a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, hopefully we can make some magic happen and our suffering will be legendary even in hell. Absolutely. So, absolutely. And yes, uh, thanks everybody for showing up. As I always like to say, please write your own gospel, live your own myth. You are the final authority, have always been. Uh, it is the hope of this show to kill all your heroes, all your saviors, and you can be in a place where you either inspire others or you are inspired by others. You are the final authority. And that's what I have to say about that. Um, before we uh, introduce our guests, and we'll take a little bit of time as people go into the chat room, I wanted to say, please support Aeon Byte. I have, um, the success of the show has really been word by word, by word of mouth. I have had several uh, tech experts, high level tech experts. I've had some agencies look at my online presence and there is no doubt this show gets shadow banned big time. And uh, it uh, should be, well, the show does very well, but again, it's word by mouth and it should have a lot higher reach when it comes to organic uh, reach and organic traffic. But that is, the, that is the world we live in today. Those who speak the truth 
in these times of universal deceit, uh, well, they do revolutionary acts. And uh, revolutionary acts and words are looked down upon and frowned and censored in this world. So please support Aeon Byte at the very least by telling others about this blasphemy. And of course, it always helps to uh, subscribe and uh, support in any way you can. Truly appreciate those of you who continually help grow this Red Bill cafeteria. Other than that, uh, as you know, uh, the rules are the rules or whatever you want to call it are the same. If you have any questions, please type them in in the chat, put some question marks, caps and all that, and we will get to them. If you want to support with some super chats, you will be put on top of the queue, as long as not something, uh, well, too weird or irrelevant. Uh, you guys know the rules, people who go in the chat, and it's always a good time. But anyway, uh, yes, it's Halloween night. And with us, we've got a very exciting list. First, I'd like to welcome back Anthony Tyler. Anthony, thanks for coming on Aeon Byte to this AB Live. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be back and good to see you. Uh, happy Halloween to everybody listening. Great to have you and thanks for everything. I uh, look forward to our chat. And with mm -hmm. us and tonight we have the occult fan, Nate Miller. Nate, how are you doing? And tell us about your guest. Um, this is Hank. And uh, Hank is a skull. And it's uh, made of resin and has a golden coin that... I got through uh, some complete accident. Some uh, Dunkin' Donuts lady gave me the wrong sandwich. I refused a sandwich. My change returned had this gold coin in it. So it's kind of like totally accidental. So uh, if that's the guess, that's also my better half, uh, Rhonda Blanc, the white queen. JJ. Hey, Rhonda. Good to see you. Happy Halloween, everyone. Thanks for having us, Miguel. Hi, Vance. And uh, hey, everyone. It's, hey, hey. Uh, good to see you. Awesome. Awesome. And as Nate just mentioned, we've got the Moondonk Vance. How are you doing, Vance? Oh, pretty good. Recovering from The Exorcist, which I just watched before uh, 10 minutes before this started. And looking forward to a spooky evening. And you say that it's been a while since you've watched the movie. What do you think? I think it still holds up oh, the yeah, test of time. It looks like it could have been filmed today. Absolutely. And I saw it when it first came out, believe it or not. I went to New York to see it. I waited in line, the Lowe's Theater. So, and it was a long line. It wasn't the first night, but that's what I did. And I was very young, of course. So, it was it was good. And uh, the power of Christ compels you. I didn't realize. They said it about 50 times. I, I thought they said it a couple of times. That was it. But no, 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 no. And it was uh, Max von Sido, Sido, and he he looked old back then, and he passed oh, away yeah. just recently. It's like he never aged. Makeup. It was Abe Vigoda's cousin. Um, was the, uh, oh. Wasn't that uh, during some kind of test screenings of that film, there was this whole MKUltra, like, um, I don't know like what program it was specifically, but they were pulsing, like, super fear waves into the audience. Do you guys know anything about that? 
No, as I, I was, we were talking before the show, William T. Blatty, who wrote it, was an ex-Jesuit. He was in military intelligence. So you see a lot of this uh, high weirdness in the movie, The Exorcist, and uh, some of his other works and even novels. So check out uh, William T. Blatty for more but yeah that movie some have said it's the movie is not about an exorcism it's about an mk ultra a child experiment to break down the child and make the child into what they do break down and to make the child into a monster into whatever you want so it's a, wow. a hidden message that so i heard there was a run on pea soup uh, after the movie <laughs> <laughs> yes my yes. wife's favorite part you know the pea soup projection <laughs> Could I add just the uh, the subliminal messages is quite clear. Um, there's this amazing Scottish band everyone should check out called Mogwai. Uh, they just uh, have announced a new album that comes out in February. Long story short, is their second album has I hope I'm not like second album trick or treat. Uh, their second album has the face that flashes throughout The Exorcist, which makes it especially terrifying. This thing's known as it's a cult. It's a it's a cultural phenomenon known as Captain Howdy. Oh yeah. Second. Yeah yeah yeah. Cool. I saw it once. The face I saw once. It must have been uh, more, but I did get to see it once. Air Bears in Wonderland totally does that, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> A classic of many classics. Well, tonight we also want to talk about another, uh, well, somebody who has created many classics, and that is Clyde Barker. I feel he is one of the really underrated uh, giants of fantasy, dark fantasy, and horror. Of course, I don't think Clive, he's going to live very well in L.A. He's been very successful at what he's done, but I still think he's underrated. I don't think he's ever hit the levels of uh, uh, Stephen King or Dean Koontz or J.K. Rowling's or others when i feel he is far more talented than all of them probably put together as a creator and a writer and uh he definitely brings a lot of awesome occult uh innovations to the table he's very much almost like neil gaiman he really brings that mm -hmm. uh, dark fantasy and the magical realism and mythologies to life and applies them to for a modern audience and uh, very underrated. I, one of my favorite novels of all time is his novel, Imagica. It's uh, 800 words and it's such a wonderful adventure, very intense, uh, like Clive Barker, very gory, but also full of elegance and beauty and high fantasy at the same time. <clears throat> Excuse me. At the same time, and I've even watched one of his plays. The what is the name of the play? It's the History of the Devil, which is uh, his play about Satan falling, and he puts his own his own slant into it. So I feel mm -hmm. Clive Barker is a very underrated uh, individual who should definitely get uh, some more love. But so I'll just uh, talk to you, Anthony. Tell us about your thoughts on Clive Barker, what he brings to the table, and let me know if you want to talk about some of his movies or works or whatever you want to talk, man. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah, there's so there's so many different parts that, uh, that angles that we could start from, but I think um, most importantly, you know, the, the, the essential premise, um, you know, just certainly he's got a lot of different work out there, but uh, I, I like to think, I think a lot of people see the first two Hellraiser movies as some of his most quintessential work because the, 
part of the beauty of it is he wrote directed and produced it it was did that it it, it it really is clive barker to the core and uh he's such a he's such a whiz with practical effects as well um all the the, the whole practical effect angle is uh, obviously an art in and of itself but um so you know regarding the uh the just the whole concept of the cenobite and um and what you find especially in the first two hellraisers um it, you know it's interesting and i guess this is a recurring theme throughout the hellraisers this is like a quintessential motif um the the apex uh this this transcendence of uh of pain and pleasure uh, to horrifying extents um it's uh it's similar you know the last time i was on we talked about um, and I'm sure we'll get into, uh, in varying degrees again, the, uh, the, the shadow complex and union psychology and, and Faust and, um, the, you know, Faust being one of the, the oldest, uh, uh, legends of a demon. And, um, um, it's, so it, yeah, it's interesting to note, I guess, uh, the, first of all, that when, um, well, to, in order to really suss out demonology and something like a, a, a Cenobite um, from like a, an archetypal symbolic perspective, you have to consider what evil even is to begin with, uh, because it, it's even um, slightly ambiguous, um, at least in a shade in the, in the Hellraisers. You know, the, 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 in the second one specifically, there's a scene that I very much like, and it's all super 80s, but it's, they're classics. They're great. Um, where... Um, uh, Kirsty, the protagonist, is stuck in the dimensions of the Cenobite and um, um, looking Pinhead right in the face, and is pretty much going to be set up to the torture rack and everything. But but somehow she's able to recognize this this shade of um, of humanity in the in the Cenobite and um, and in them all, and and you see, you see them slowly start to remember that they were once these beings, these humans, and were uh, through their journeys uh, uh pushed to the extents in in um in a very like in a way that harkens back to lovecraft in some sense but uh, barker's so unique because it's existential horror you know we're dealing with like dimensions and all these things but it, there's such a personal element to it um lovecraft was so impersonal that was his whole motif was the impersonality of horror but uh but barker brings it down um um he uh he he makes it personal there's a whole ritualized element to it and um and you know it, the uh it, it's it's the whole one of the ways uh, that that you can look at it is um especially with uh with with Barker's Hellraiser that following your bliss not always uh, the best thing sometimes because that's how it starts. You, the, these people are, are looking for the utmost um, to, to transcend the limitations of the human experience. And they don't, they don't quite realize how, how uh, specifically horrifying it is. Um, and, you know, in the, in the, uh, on the opposite side of that coin, the, the whole, um, the spin that Gautier puts on the rendition, his rendition of Faust uh, being that, while Mephistopheles is certainly um, a demon for all intents and purposes, as personified to Faust, um, at the beginning of the play, anyone familiar with it will know that uh, Mephistopheles is, is an angel in the, in the court of heaven, and there's this uh, there's this dialogue between Mephistopheles and God that uh, is 
very directly reminiscent of uh, the book of Job and the bet that kind of goes on. And in many ways, the story of Faust is kind of like an inversion of the book of Job. Um, but, but so we see that um, not only should you not follow your bliss sometimes, but that, you know, you learn through your blisters in other times in the case that Faust, uh, Faust and his dealings with Mephistopheles. And while there is very direct evil, um, and you know, we, I, I'm prepared, we could get into cases of possession and different things like that. Um, but, uh, and, and I think there is overt evil out there, um, in what you could say is a metaphysical sense, but in so many cases, um, in the illustrated by the, the things I just went into, um, it's not always as straightforward as one would like to think. And there are some gray areas. Um, not everything is purely uh, good or evil. Uh, or very few things. You know, you could argue that in like the Neoplatonic sense of the ideals, if everything has some sort of ideal presence, um, some utmost core, um, like ontological presence, then certainly good and evil do have that presence. So I don't know. There's, a, there's some good food for thought initially. I don't know what you guys would like to add to that. Yeah, I think it's great, the idea of tying it to uh, to Githa's Faustus. I mean, that really is a, the, probably the first novel or story. Usually in ancient times, you, you summon gods and spirits to help you out and the tribe out. It wasn't just comp- – nobody really summoned gods for material pleasure. It was just all right. Right. So uh, this really takes it to a very individual level where the person is talking to this higher being for his own good. It's sort of, I guess, the New Age secret before it was cool. <laughs> and, then, and Hellraiser does it too. And I, I should mention mm-hmm. uh, Barker, Clive Barker, obviously, when you look at who influenced him, you've got a who's who of uh, Gnostic luminaries. He was very influenced mm-hmm. by Herman Melville uh william burroughs william blake so and then he was obviously as most horror writers he was influenced by edgar Allan poe uh he ray bradbury was big and ray bradbury has does have some horrors but uh, it is true uh, yeah pinhead and the the cenobites are not really evil they're uh, i think in the story they're they're actually a, a priestly order from hell who is trying to join pleasure and pain and the word Cenobite comes from the Latin for this, uh, it was this uh, medieval order of monks who was very disattached from society. And in a way, Pinhead is really a very much an orthodox fundamentalist priest. I mean, the, the themes are there, you know, uh, what do we find in Catholicism? Pleasure is bad, but suffering is good. And these two get joined in with the flagellation and the, the praying and the suffer. They get mixed in, and the Cenobites are simply sort of a, a supernatural version of that. And I guess uh, Pinhead sort of finds redemption in well, the second movie, as you said, simply by finding his humanity. And uh, also, too, Pinhead, he... Um, really changed the way horror was in the 80s horror villains were just idiots whether it was jason or mike myers or freddy krueger he brought a more elegance and intelligence to the horror villain which paved the way for such movies as event horizon or scream more it was more horror got a lot more intellectual in the 90s if you would so Mm -hmm. uh, but uh yeah what else do you think about this anthony um, well, you know, from here, um, 
I, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it, I think it's important to penetrate a little bit further into the nature of the shadow itself, I would say. And I would also like to add, um, you know, elaborating on that, uh, the, that I really feel like um, the best example of something like, um, other than the very direct references that you just talked about with the order and whatnot, when we're talking about Cenobites and what they represent on this, um, uh, like uh, the symbolic existential level, um, it seems that to me, um, I, I don't think I'd be the only one to think this, uh, Lilith, the uh, the ancient uh, demoness slash uh, queen of hell, queen of the tree of life, really seems to be uh, one of, if not the most classical uh, real life depiction of what you could call a Cenobite. And, um, and in many different ways, uh, but specifically the fact that uh, this, this archetype in and of itself um, has, uh, a sort of cathartic quality to it because Lilith for anyone who does not know um, is really uh, it stems ultimately from uh, the, the the sleep paralysis symptoms that people have experienced throughout thousands of years it's very curious to note that sleep paralysis has been this quintessential crux of demonology um, and it's carried forth even to this day and that's where you get the, the, the classical depictions of the succubus and the incubus, um, these being male and female vampires. And um, it, uh, it really is uh, just the utmost, it's the epitome um, of examples for this, uh, like the vampire being this, uh, especially today, this classical amalgamation of uh, something that is beautiful and horrifying at the same time. Uh, and something that uh, Barker likes to do with this, uh, this uh, blurring the lines between not only pain and pleasure, but uh, it, it, taking it to um, sexual extents, not in gory ways or anything. Like he, uh, Barker's eloquent; he's very, he's very elegant about it. But it's uh, he takes um, it's it's certainly um, it, it's certainly reminiscent of what Lilith is, um, and I think that. Um, in, in many ways, the tree of death is, uh, is one of the biggest survivals of demonology as we know it. Um, but you know, it, in general, when, when considering the history of demonology, um, to, to, to take a broader scope than just Barker for a moment, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to understand that, there is some sort of uh, there's a crossroads between what you could call disease and illness. Disease being these uh, the variety of physical symptoms, and illness more so being a person's psychological standpoint and reaction to the given disease. And um, you know, possessions uh, today uh, they're they're reported to be on the rise in the U.S. and have been for some time. And that's, that's very strange because we like to think that we're in a very postmodern skeptical society. Um, and people would like to think that priests are, um, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of corruption with the Catholic Church in these things. But when you're considering um, the, uh, the, the, the historical implications and uh, the, the the tradition of exorcisms that have survived, 
uh, people, uh, priests would not be operating on any sort of, uh, with any platform of exorcisms actually taking place if they did not take it very seriously, because they could be shut down for human rights violations and all sorts of things. I mean, there have been these kinds of debates before. This is nothing new. Um, as we know, with the case of Annalise Michelle, which was the inspiration for the horror movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, so great example where the priests were actually charged with manslaughter at the end of it. But, but with the, with the case of, um, Annalise Michelle, um, while it was not handled effectively in the long run, there were some very strange anomalous symptoms. And it seems to be that at this crossroads of disease and illness, um, like I said, anomalous things start to occur. Uh, you could go online and find, uh, recordings, of her uh, exorcism tapes, and they are, oh my word, it is, it is jarring, um, to say the least. Talk about um, a Halloween soundtrack, good Lord. So, so there's strange things that happen, and the same thing with uh, like sleep paralysis events. You know, we can look at this, the brain science behind it now and understand that there's a literal um, sensory body projection process happening where um, on a, on a, on a, on a level of brain science, we're basically projecting our own body map um, in some sort of more autonomous way since we've gone deeper into the sleep process. And now it's creating it. So we could see this kind of puppeteering effect that's almost similar to a phantom limb effect, but it, it begins to take on all these anomalous properties. Like you get all these paranormal things. The temperature dropping is often associated with the shadow people. And you see different forms of shadow people. You know, there are people talk about the man with the fedora hat. And um, they sometimes see animals and hellhounds. Um, and there's, uh, I think that there's a lot of, uh, there's plenty of case to be made that uh, there is, you know, um, a gray area uh, in what people like to think of as alien abduction and sleep paralysis events as well. So um, yeah, uh, it, demonology today, the, it, the more you look into the phenomenology, the more you see that um, it rides on the heels of disease and, uh, and human suffering in a very literal way that uh, was when you look into possession cases it's rarely, I'm not going to say it never happens, but rarely is it a just a perfectly normal functioning person that just flies off the deep end. There's all sorts of uh, compounding, com, excuse me, a compounding variety of diseases. Like uh, throughout history, not only was sleep paralysis associated with demonology, but obviously so was epilepsy. And, and uh, of course, I'm not saying that people with epilepsy are possessed with demons, but it's, it's, it's unavoidable to note that even in today's society, and like in the case of Annalise Michelle, where there were a certain amount of control methods put in place, and she was taken to doctors and neurologists and was, ex was still experiencing very strange anomalous uh, symptoms and activities. Um, so... Um, I don't know. There's, uh, there's, you know, some food for thought there, but, um, um, demonology in and of itself, uh, is, is, uh, something that, like I said, it's a, it's a compounding thing and, uh, we could go further from there, but, you know, I know we got some other people in the chat, so 
on yeah, that. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, no, it's really well said. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here and it's, yeah, because we're talking about the shadow and complex as we're going Jungian, but obviously there is supernatural, but then that's not wrong because as you probably know, and we all know here when, when Jung had his uh, red book, Abraxas thing, there was all this supernatural stuff happening in his house. I mean, mm-hmm. there are families saying Jung is going inside his soul, but there's ghosts and objects moving and his family's just shitting themselves. So mm-hmm. that, uh, I'm, I'm, I try to think that nexus between the supernatural and the inner world and what is there really a difference? And I get confused. And And good point about, uh, the exorcism we were talking about the exorcist i forgot but if and i forgot what scene it is we might have to look it up on youtube but there is evidence in i think the book in the movie that linda blair is being sexually assaulted before she gets possessed mm-hmm. by pazuzu there's like one scene that's so obvious she's being it's like it and you, most people miss it but because mm-hmm. again in the movie she seems to have a great life i think you know the wife is separated from the from the dad but other than that but yeah she's being sexually assaulted which allows the demon to take over so the butler did it the butler did <laughs> the it <clouds. yeah>. <laughs> it's the same thing in twin peaks of course uh, i mean sorry if it's a spoiler to too many people but yeah oh. i say the butler oh, yeah. did it <laughs> so, uh, well we'll get some questions but uh what do you think nate about uh oh first i also wanted to say also true about lilith one thing that fascinates me is jewish demonology and magic because it is really really intense i mean most people mm-hmm. don't know but in greco-roman times if you needed some high hardcore magic or uh, exorcism you didn't go to the temple of uh, hecate or isis you went to the the jew or the galilean or somebody who spoke aramaic and they would bring this high-powered magic of course they probably inherited from the babylonians and so forth but uh and then of course you get into medieval jewish magic and it is it is intense very powerful yeah, stuff yes. so um something i'm really fascinated with and uh, i think it's overlooked a lot uh, through uh, by occultists i mean yeah of course you the the the, the golden dawn Kabbalah and all that which i feel is kind of a uh, it's kind of wussy stuff for magicians, but yeah, I like the okay. hardcore black magic stuff. Because, <laughs> as you said, that's where the shadow stuff. That's when you get into the real. I got to face myself and my demons. <laughs> but Absolutely. Nate, uh, what do you think? Man, um, I'll keep mine as quick as I can. I I definitely think White Lodge is a quick way to say, like, you know, on this night, you know, where all of the uh, the veils are thin, um, you know. You gotta you gotta walk through the middle path, is what I would advise. As if I know, as if I as if I know anything at all, which do not as that's the first mistake you'll make is listening to me. But the second mistake you'll make is not listening to me. So just middle path, but also like I think there's something to be said for like maybe Gigi Young would talk about like fifth dimensional stuff. So there's like what how many different ways we can look at this, like from the classical vampiric way of looking at things through folk tales. Which often are neglected too. I think like the there's some parts of the the conservative past that we want to maintain to retrieve our humanity. If you understand what I mean. Speaking of monsters, there's a way to become a monster without having a mooring to who we are. I didn't mean to go there, but there it is. Uh, I guess like one of the other things is is like you know you can consider this night 
uh, an extenuation, an extension of like, because like what's a bipolar allegedly, but a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde or a werewolf or a lunatic, right? So all of these other kind of pathologies we can include as made extreme, you know, same thing with an alien abduction or something like that. But um, I don't know. I didn't mean to go all the, the way over there, but I do think people need to try to align with the White Lodge. And to do that, you actually have to fight your own self. You're either an upward spiraler. You're, I'll finish with this. You're either an, this is just whatever, right? Like I said, don't listen. You're either an upward spiraler who's forgiving people and just letting yourself get lighter in that and keeping on doing your work, or you're someone who's just going to be um, eventually uh, recycled there that, that's not what i was going to say quite frankly but um there you go happy halloween uh, right on. happy halloween and happy halloween to those who are joining the chat we got a gr- good group already and i'm sure we must have some questions vance or do you have anything to say or do we have any questions from our esteemed guests or people at the chat at the virtual alexandria well i've got one question and um, uh, my audio is okay, right? I have to switch channels here. Yeah, good. yeah. Um, good. I agree with Nate. You know, um, quite a while ago, uh, one of the things that I received directly, so to speak, is that you're either going toward the God above God, you know, the, the, the great unity, the monad, or you're going away. There's only two. That's the only real choice we have. That, that's what I was told. And everything else is a variation on that. And um, the other thing I say, I um, want to say quickly before I get to the question, uh, is um, I've noticed recently that, you know, uh, tonight's Halloween, right? So we're talking about the spooks and the vampires and the evil things and the demons and so forth, the exorcist, the Halloween, the pure evil, Mike Myers, so forth. Uh, but uh, when you go back to the Greeks, they saw things a lot differently, didn't they? They they weren't into this totally good and evil thing. It was like just, it's almost like the way, you know, we Gnostics uh, oftentimes like to think where we're, we're just kind of in the middle and we're watching it all and we're looking at the reasons people do things, you know, and all the troubles Zeus had with the Titans and so forth. And, and so there seems to be, throughout history, we developed this polarity of the, the evil and the good. And the religions of mankind reflect that, at least in the Western world. So that's kind of an observation I have to make. So, but tonight I guess is the more on the polarity side, the vampires and, and I, you know, I like that, uh, the confluence between the incubus and the succubus and the vampires never occurred to me. I just saw Dracula not too many nights ago. So, which is great. So, and now to the question, uh, Oswald Spengler wants to know of the group here, if you guys think there'll be any more sequels to Halloween, or maybe he meant any more great Halloween movies in general. I don't mm. know. I, I, I should mention that uh, they are doing the reboot of Hellraiser in 2021. And just an article came out yesterday, October 30th, that Clive Barker is going to join as a consultant and write, help write with the screenplay. So, uh, this could be some uh, good modern mythology. Um, so that's at least I know good news. But yeah, I don't, I don't can't remember the last time I watched a, a horror movie. I mean, my favorite one might be Showgirls, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, quite uh, a horror movie. <laughs> I heard they're going to make one based on the presidential election. That's oh my god, that is yeah, that's a horror right there. My god, something out Agreed. of. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, one thing I also wanted to mention, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the film Nightbreed. Um, that's another uh, Clive Barker. He also directed and wrote it, low budget. Uh, I think it should, it's a pity because it's, a, again, a great concept about this city underground uh, graveyard where monsters live, but they're all the monsters of our fantasies, elves and vampires, and they all live in harmony under this place because they're hiding from the true monster human beings and how they're trying to cope and they've been vilified through stories and all that and uh my point is that clive barker he's ahead of the game because uh the the creepy villain is the psychiatrist psychiatrist in this movie and this guy is doing classic mk ultra stuff to his patients to manipulate him to do horrible stuff he's giving them lsd hypnotism so barker in the 80s is sort of giving these hints about again what our government is doing and of all people playing the psychiatrist is david cronenberg it still makes me laugh he's in a movie and he's sort of this creepy psychiatrist who's eventually going to try and destroy the monsters because that's what mk ultra does right destroy human fantasy human imagination but um i think uh uh Anyway, there's a lot of his movies where really are very prescient or give insight into stuff long before the whole conspiracy theory culture grabbed on to these issues. Barker was already sort of hinting them and, and whatever. Um, but my question for you, Anthony, uh, you talk about transphysical phenomena in your book, uh, Dive Manual. Uh, I, I keep wanting to call it Diver Down because Eddie Van Halen died recently. <laughs> but no, <laughs> Dive Manual, uh, Empirical Investigations into Mysticism. Good book uh, for the audience. Definitely check it out in our first interview. But tell the audience about transphysical phenomena and how this relates to all that we're talking about. Okay, absolutely. Um, so transphysical phenomena um is the the best description the best term i could come up with for this uh, this uh, sliding scale of reality because certainly there's a line between objective and subjective but again um similar with metaphysics as we just talked about there is some sort of gray area and a bit of malleability here um so, uh, and you can see that this really, really gets into uh, Fortean and other unexplainable slash paranormal type phenomena really quickly, but um, it still uh, toes the line of uh, esotericism and metaphysics uh, as well, because this even brings us into um, or uh, keeps us along the same lines of uh, possession and exorcisms. Uh, because, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting. Um, since we've already talked about uh, possessions a little bit, I'll elaborate on this first um, in terms of the transphysical phenomena. You hear all these stories throughout the years, and let's say, sure, that some of this is embellishment, uh, undoubtedly, Like, um, but it's the same thing with any other unexplainable phenomena, UFOs or ghosts. If even one of the stories is true, um, then that changes the entire ballgame, and there's there's so many, there's a countless amount of all of them. So, you know, the chances of at least one having some legitimacy is, uh, 
I don't know. Um, I'm not that skeptical. Uh, I think that's a little, that's a bit blind, uh, to be honest. But um, so that in mind, that little disclaimer aside, uh, you hear all sorts of different stories that, that are still modern. Um, um, you know, things of uh, the classical possession signs where they're speaking languages like Aramaic and um, uh, other ancient languages that they would have never understood. Um, and, you know, there are people to this day uh, practicing um, exorcists that talk about seeing levitation. Um, there's the, the, uh, the sort of telepathy, in a sense, of, uh, the, of the possessed knowing the innermost guilt of, uh, of the people around them. And, uh, and you also, there's a famous story, um, which is in one of those possession movies, that possession movie with Anthony Hopkins, which was also a book. I think it was called the right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's the anecdote, there's the story of, uh, the possessed, uh, um, vomiting crucifixion nails. And there's other stories of, uh, the possessed vomiting out other inanimate objects or like, artifacts in some ways and usually like these are never they're they're never able to be maintained or uh, contained rather um when you actually dig into the accounts you see that everyone experiences these things they see them there's like there's uh there's proportionate physical interaction to it um if that makes sense but but when they try to contain it these things like disappear or disintegrate and there's no trace of it. So, and this reminds me of, um, uh, in many ways, uh, the, the surroundings of um, larger scale events like the, the Mothman and UFO and Men in Black sightings in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, throughout the Mothman prophecies, as well as the classical accounts, the mind-blowing accounts of Fatima, um, for anyone who knows about those. Uh, and Jung talked about this in his book about flying saucers, as well as other places. And this is very reminiscent of uh, this sort of John Keel, Jacques Vallée perspective as well, where when there's a certain amount of psychological inertia, especially when numbers are involved, there becomes this sort of cascade priming effect in the psyche where we all get on the same page and um, hypnotic triggers start to progress. And, and it seems that, um, because we know that in hysteria, people can see all sorts of things, all sorts of hallucinations and whatever else. So if, and, and hysteria is generally considered a negative thing, whereas Fatima, for example, was a very positive thing, um, albeit pretty eerie. Um, but uh, so if, if that can happen with negative things, and certainly it could happen with, um, with, uh, with the more positive things. And, and it, I, I think the evidence shows that this is what's happening during possessions. Um, is I don't, I'm not necessarily convinced that any of these things are actually literally physical, but people see these things all the time in these settings. And there's um, what I would call like a transference effect going on, which is how Jung describes the relationship between the therapist and the patient and how there's this, uh, this implicit unconscious uh, psychological trust but, uh, that's almost um, familial where, where you know that um, where you're operating on the same page and you can, uh, and, and like I said, a certain amount of trust. And clearly there is uh, that sort of relationship with um, a, a, a priest who is engaging in exorcist rites and the person that is allegedly possessed. Um, so 
while because the a big critique about um uh, possessions is that there's got to be some sort of implicit placebo effect like a person being willing to believe that they are possessed and that is 100 percent part of it but the really curious thing is that when there's inertia brought about through um these sort of transfer these psychologically transferred agreements um that very unique things begin to happen and again this is found in um uh not only something like uh, exorcism but uh fortean phenomena all over the place and can describe sleep paralysis symptoms as well so and phantom limb syndrome yeah can i add something to that yeah please do so when you when when i was a kid i'm gonna i'm gonna come full circle here Please do. even work on that one. Uh, so the idea is like when I was younger, I used to be um, past my sentence returns. Uh, I, I'm a Venus ruled guy. I'm born on the equinox. Literally, I'm born on the autumnal equinox. So I kind of like have this Venus freaking thing coming through me. Um, Clive Barker, I want to draw to everyone's attention, is born on um, as well as a Libra. I've got his chart up in front of me and everything in his third house of communication. He's got this beautiful Saturn with Neptune and all his weird dreamy stuff. It's super tight. His chart's like blisteringly him. But anyway, so he worked as a male prostitute. And my point, like when he couldn't make enough money doing his stuff here, I've got his, I totally did research ahead of time. So what happens is, is that he actually, you take on the other people that you join with is my point. So be conscientious as you move forward in your journey as some possible advice. There are agreements made by our bodies on etheric levels. Let me simplify my entire point into that simple because I think that's an important thing to add while we're talking about possessions. Very real advice here. Hypothetically, I'm not your doctor or maybe I am. The point is is that you should look into what you're doing on your subtle layers with who you're with. And if you're, and one of the reasons you keep people six feet apart is because that's the magnetic range of the heart. Anyways, enough about masks. Well said. Well said. Well said indeed. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. Barker had to do certain things early in his career, but uh, he, and he also had, yeah, he had to suffer some really bad health issues that kind of uh, uh, boarded his career for a while. So yeah, he's, he has to, he's had to swim up uphill much of his life. Um, what do you think, Anthony, about the idea of egregores? I mean, I think egregores also kind of helps uh, this, again, as we're talking about supernatural, psychological, psycho-spiritual. Because, for example, and I've told this story, I did some ghost hunting in Chicago for a while, and we go to places where Al Capone had his you know, secret accountants. And these are places where people were definitely recorded to have been killed. And we go downstairs with all our little tools. And yes, you know, you suddenly, we'd all be there and the temperature would go down. We'd get our rods and there was something, we'd see the orbs take pictures and we had these orbs that were just appearing out of nowhere. But we'd suddenly, somebody would talk or ask to talk to their grandma. Then the temperature would go down and that person would start asking very, uh, important questions that only the grandma would know. So it, this was something that it was definitely supernatural. But I always thought, is this the grandma or are we all giving our psychic energy to this person and enough power for that person to really raise their levels 
to a higher level where they can get this information and uh, speak. So uh, I always wonder, was it the grandma or are we creating an egregore of the grandma, which is just as powerful as the grandma? What do you think? Mm, um, it's, I think in some sense it has to be on a case by case basis because um, um, if I were to, um, you know, my best guess, I guess, to uh, the situation is I think that a lot of this stuff could be considered egregores, like these thought form entities that people collectively create. Um, But um, I, I can't help but think that there also are things that, um, that, that have uh, in the, almost the Lovecraftian way, but not, not exclusively in a bad way uh, that are primordial as well. Um, The things that, have followed us um, throughout essentially our entire evolutionary scale. Um, And however, quote unquote, sentient you want to argue those things are is a different story, but their presence is pretty inarguable at this rate. Um, But I do think that, um, and I think if anything, egregores um, might explain uh, 4T and phenomena the best because um, to to bring this full circle a little bit, all these different things. The 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 reason that the human uh, that the human experience and our biology has even the capacity to have what you could call um, hallucinatory uh, effects out of trance states that that um, become therefore transphysical. Um, that um, well. Um, the, the um man <laughs> i don't remember what i was gonna say there oh man um oh that's okay yeah we were talking about egregores 14 uh well let me oh right yeah right um so we, uh, with the 14 phenomena um there's the uh the you know we're ultimately looking at the projection process like i said and um and this is stemming from when you look at the evolutionary scale um this is dealing with the same kind of uh, pressures and biological correlates as uh, dream phenomena. And what do we know about dreams, um, or what we do know about dreams, I should say, is that it's it's um, it's a, an accumulation of the sensory data that you have um, that that you've gathered through your experience. But it's not just simply random feedback. Um, as some people would like to say, and there's obviously a lot of syntax to the symbols found in dreams if you begin to interpret them. And I really think, and again, I'm not the only one to, uh, to feel this way. This is a very valet and Keeling and Jungian perspective um, that this, uh, this what I would call transphysical phenomena, um, therefore unexplainable Fortean things, have the same projection process similar to a dream where these things have syntax to them. And uh, when you have impactful dreams, um, the psychologists and the esotericists alike will tell you that before and after uh, the events that you experience in waking life before and after a dream are just as important as the dream itself, because it's all about context and syntax. And I think it's also, um, I think that that is a, a big takeaway when trying to understand unexplainable phenomena in general is that it's the context and syntax that is very important. And, you know, if you see a UFO, um, you know, you might want to think about the, uh, the potential um, psychological esoteric implications that have surrounded the, the events that 
took place before and after. So, um, yeah, there's a, um, there's something, and what that syntax and context helps us understand is, um, if nothing else, if nothing else, because there's a lot of, um, just by the definition of it, it's unexplainable. We're not going to know at all. But if nothing else, it helps us understand um, the inner mechanisms that compel us to uh, project these things to begin with. Um, so, which is which is everything. I mean, that's the alchemical process right there. Um, because, you know, certainly, as we said, there are these Neoplatonic good and evil qualities um, but there's this uh, this sliding scale, and what that essentially is is the alchemical process. You know, that's what that's what the impurities of dark on the scale to light is. Is this sort of gauging process, this sort of organizational time, uh, 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 this scale, so that we can um, identify our relationship um, and the risk factors involved in our relationship to truth and understanding because it's this classical uh, Eastern notion, um, especially very Buddhist uh, that when we begin to understand, when we find, when we begin to understand the, uh, the, the implications and the underlying cause uh, causality and, and, and factors involved with what we could consider evil. Um, when we begin to understand that it often undermines the quality of the evil. Uh, because a lot of these things are error and misunderstanding to begin with. Um, so um, I think that that's a, that's a really important takeaway. Um, but uh, it, because, yeah, because it's a refinement process and um, you have to, it, these things like the, the whole, this whole shadow projection process shouldn't necessarily be glorified, but it should on some level be embraced the same way that Dante embraces uh virgil uh in uh, the divine comedy um um so and you know also uh, in the spirit of halloween um i wanted to bring up um, a couple things uh, first off um i've mentioned this elsewhere before but i would be uh i would be remiss if i didn't bring it up um it, on the topic of possessions and epilepsy um, so, first of all, you can, of course, if you look into it, you can find that many great uh, scholars and artists throughout history um, have had epilepsy. Um, so, and it's, and it, especially of the temporal lobe kind, uh, where the, 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 by definition of the, um, of the type of epilepsy, you are having these like symbolic, highly existential, even philosophical uh, visions. And and so that can uh, that can really inspire people like uh, like Dostoevsky and it was um, Dante was as well said to have epilepsy and Michelangelo and all these other people. Um, uh, but also on the uh, on the opposite end, when, like you know, when we talked about uh, mental illness and disease and this apex that that leads into anomalous demonology, um, we find that it can definitely. Um, lead people, especially with compounding factors, into these very dark places where they do not know how to cope and they become fractured and compartmentalized and even animalistic in that way where, of course, they're still human, but different factors have overtaken um, their humanity on massive levels. And you can see um, epilepsy and especially temporal, uh, bleh, temporal lobe epilepsy found 
um, in, uh, in a lot of classical serial killers like um, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, being a very classical example. You don't get someone more into Satanism than Richard Ramirez. Um, and he was, he was clinically diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. So it's very, and, and he talked about how he had relationships with demons and Lucifer and these things. Um, and it's also interesting to note, although it wasn't um, diagnosed as specifically as Ramirez, um, I, I never found, um, I found out what type of epilepsy it was, but uh, David Berkowitz, son of Sam, uh, also was reported to have epilepsy throughout his childhood. And that guy thought that uh, the devil was talking to him through his dogs and his neighbor and all sorts of things and went on a killing spree and may or may not have been actually involved with uh, legitimate, uh, like anarchistic satanic cults in New York, um, which is a whole rabbit hole from there. And you also got Gacy, who was reported to have epilepsy throughout his childhood. And that guy, while never really specifically talking about Satan, was clearly into altered personalities and symbols and these things. It's also interesting to note about Gacy that he he never used the uh, the rounded uh, makeup with clowns, which gives them, uh, which at least tries quote unquote to give them their uh, a more warm presence. He always used jagged angles, and it came across very like demonic in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's creepy. Um, and you have other you, you have other serial killers too. And what you find is that when they're diagnosed with epilepsy or have reports of it, they're always. Um, uh, fascinated with uh, the occult um, is very interesting. Talk about um, Cenobites or uh, Lovecraftian old ones that uh, that that may uh, creep open. In a uh, uh, John Keel's got a great quote about this about how our fears and gullibility and instincts, when not kept in check or well understood in that Buddhist sense, they can lead us astray and lead us to open up these doors in our consciousness um, that that things can slink through to, to uh, become parasitic with us. Um, you know, it's the prover- it's, it's the proverbial vampire where um, the old, the, the old thing with the rule with the vampire is um, you have to let them in, you know, and then, and then once you let them in, the game's over, you're toast. Oh man. Well said and very intense. Yes. And it is true. Most serial killers did hear voices in their head and we assumed they were just crazy, but I highly doubt it. And they all, of course, had really bad childhoods. Even uh, people try to use the exception. Well, Ted Bundy, no, when you look at his childhood, he got messed over as a kid. So uh, mm-hmm. something is going on there. And um, But Vance, any questions or comments? Well, let's see. This goes way back to Nate. Um, Yasmin wants to know, Yasmin Emmerich wants to know, um, where did you find out that the heart's magnetic field has a range of six feet? Do you remember where that was? I've heard that. Um, yeah, I believe you can look at HeartMath Institute for that. But oh, um, yeah, HeartMath, yeah. Right on, right on. Um, I think that's just one of many places. Um, and do your own research. If I'm wrong, update me. Uh, that's always, you know, I could be wrong. But the Radiohead, I might be wrong. But, you know, thank you for asking. That was a cool question. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with these things, as far as magnetic fields, any kind of field, it never just stops, right? It just gets weaker and weaker. Mm-hmm. The um, R squared law, R cubed law, whatever. So usually they figure so many dB down from the original signal. That's they just arbitrarily say that's where the field ends. But I have an observation, and this is a quick one, pertinent to everything we're talking about. Um, another realization I had is that 
a lot of these questions about, you know, what demons are and are they real and so forth really boil down to whether or not we as individuals are, have the capability of contacting other entities other than through the physical world. If we're totally isolated and it's impossible, then you'd have to posit, well, then it's somehow within our own minds. Of course, then you got to ask, well, how deep does the mind go, right? And there, there's inner versus outer. But if ESP right. exists, right, then, uh, and if we can contact each other, if we can contact other entities at other levels, then a lot of this stuff becomes a lot more understandable. Uh, demonic possession, for example, you know, allowing somebody to, in other words, making a mental contact and having their, you know, like if you're in a conversation with somebody that's got a very strong personality, they kind of can take over the personality and you kind of follow along, you know, that kind of thing, that demonic possession could be thought of like that. So anyway, that's just a thought. And let's see, any other, oh, somebody, uh, Yasmin Emmerich just came up with the heart, heart math uh, uh, quote that said it can be detected three feet away from the body. Well, okay. Depends on how sensitive your detector is, doesn't it? Probably. <laughs> your magnetometer is, is more sensitive, then you could probably detect it further away. In fact, in theory, every field goes on infinitely until maybe the Planck distance gets in the way or something and it gets lost in noise. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of what is really our second Halloween special. The rabbit hole gets deeper in the second part. And I hope these red pill and black pill suppositories are going up well your rectums of complacency. The revolution of the spirit and the mind in the name of Hypatia continues. And this is our last stand in 2020. Time to wake up fully and reach your potential. And I'm here with you every step of the way. Including the audio version, this is a cool listen if you leverage a private RSS feed from AB Prime or Patreon that works on the podcast provider of your choice. So please become a member or patron at Patreon for the full Hellraiser interview and to support this Red Bill Cafeteria. Go to the God Above God Dad Cam for means to assist and get the infernal rewards. Or just contact me. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever. Might be the only way to counteract the boot yaldibaldiest place on the collective consciousness of humanity. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself your true self here in the desert of the real hello and goodbye as always Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.